in the horrific wake of the unspeakable massacre that took place at the Route 91 Harvest Festival here in Las Vegas, we know a lot of you have questions and confusions about firearm laws in the state of Nevada. I'm attorney Michael Becker from the Las Vegas Defense Group, and I'm here to provide you with some useful information on this topic. Many people wonder what kind of ammunition is legal in the state of Nevada. Nevada law permits the sale of nearly all kinds of ammunition, including hollow points, tracers, frangible projectiles for target shooting, and 50 caliber ammunition. However, you are prohibited under both Nevada law and the federal law from purchasing or possessing armor-piercing bullets. Federal law defines armor-piercing ammunition as a projectile or projectile core which may be used in a handgun and which is constructed entirely from one or a combination of tungsten alloys, steel, iron, brass, bronze, beryllium copper, or depleted uranium, or a full jacketed projectile larger than 22 caliber designed and intended for use in a handgun and whose jacket has a weight of more than 25% of the total weight of the projectile. The mere possession of armor-piercing bullets in Nevada is a gross misdemeanor which carries up to 364 days in jail and a fine of up to $2,000. And under federal law, if you possess armor-piercing bullets while carrying out a violent crime or a narcotics trafficking crime, you face 15 years to life in a federal penitentiary. If you have questions about firearm laws in Las Vegas or throughout the state of Nevada, call us at 702-DEFENSE or watch our instructional videos at 702defense.com. Dang, this ain't the first time you thought it up there, huh? <laughs> Gotta just float out like you, well, you've been doing this for a minute. That's what I'm on. So five years from now, um, I'll have one of the leading softwares when it comes to financial literacy and credit education. I love it. Do you specifically target black people? No. No? It's just that's just people who relate to me the most yeah. right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. They like this way. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Well, yeah. well, I, I, I want to say uh, thank you, man, and please let the people know how they can get in touch with you. At him500 on Instagram. So follow me on Instagram, at him500. That's the easiest way to contact me. Uh, stay in touch. I shoot DMs back. You get voice memos. You might get a video. Um, just real connected with everybody. DMs is always close to empty to where they, I keep them open. So you reply to all your DMs? For the most part, yes. I, bro, I, I, was, I did it for a while, and then I just got, I got so backed up. And now I can't catch up. So I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm just going to sit down this week and I'm going to go through all. It's probably like a thousand. Just words. delete all of those and start fresh. And then stay on top of it. 
And who would have thought of that? That's crazy. Like, you yo, this has been something that's been bothering me for like three months now. Yeah. He's no. like, oh, delete them. Start over. Thank you. Yeah, you're going to check them. <laughs> They've been unread for two weeks. The message doesn't even matter anymore. Delete the story. It's story oh. replies. And it's, it's, you'll get a whole bunch of likes and delete it and restart over. That is so amazing. First, okay, thank you. All right, I appreciate yeah, you, you having me. You just gave me a bar. You just yeah. gave me a bar. That was worth the price of admission. All right, cool. I want you to leave us with um, something that the people can uh, take with them and hold on to for the rest of this year, for the rest of next year. Um, just leave us with a closing note. With a closing note? I got it. Before you get there, before you get there, give me a formula. I like your formulas. You have like the way you teach. Okay. Give me a formula and then we'll close. A formula. Um, I'm gonna give you guys a formula on something that everybody needs and that's how to clean your credit. Uh, that's one of the things I don't believe in charging for myself. I believe in if I get on the platform, the relationships I've been able to build with people like you, that I should be able to give our community that for free. So I tell people this is that the reason why you can't get a lot of the negative items removed from your credit report is because there's a company called SageStream, there's a company called LexisNexis, there's a company called CoreLogix, there's a company called ARS, and there's a company called Innovis. Those are secondary data furnishing companies. Those companies house the information that verifies the negative information on your credit report that helps match the collection agency's information, your foreclosures, your repossessions. They match those, that information with your secondary data furnishing companies. If you opt out and suppress these five furnishing companies, it will enhance your deletions by 60%. When you do a, a dispute method, you have to understand as well is that only way you can remove a negative item if it's inaccurate or if it's unverifiable. We cause inaccuracies by removing these, I mean unverifiable by removing the secondary data furnishers. That causes it to be unverifiable because this is where they verify your data. So we opt out of those then we make things unverifiable. Meaning, look at the names and addresses, any misspelled names, any wrong addresses on your credit report are most likely tied to negative accounts or accounts in your credit report. Remove them, you should only have one. Boom, you can do that over the phone. You never send a dispute letter to remove addresses and um, misspelled names. You do it over the phone. Now, you've caused inaccuracies and you help make things um, inaccurate and help cause the negative items to be unverifiable just by opting out and suppressing those. So now when you do a dispute, I tell people use a 609 letter, find a template, make it sound like it's personal. Don't just use it cut and paste. Take some of the words out, make it sound personal, make it sound like it's coming from first person, you're talking to the credit bureau. Then what do you do? You send your disputes in. That's one way to get negative items removed. Biggest bar is most people don't know there's a company called Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB.gov. That's the government regulation site 
that governs the credit bureaus. The credit bureaus are private companies. So TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax are privately owned. Well, CFPB controls them. Well, if you don't want to have to, if you go through and you suppress the secondary agencies and you make things unverifiable and inaccurate, and it still gets, it comes back and the company says, oh, that. I'm Las Vegas criminal defense attorney Michael Becker. If you're found guilty at trial in Nevada, you can ask the judge to hold a do-over if the original trial was unfair. This is a totally different process from an appeal, which is where you ask a higher court to review the lower court's decision. Now, judges rarely grant a hearing for a new trial, but it can happen. Five common reasons to justify a new trial are, one, there is newly discovered evidence that shows that the defendant may be innocent. Two, the judge made a major mistake, perhaps by misdirecting the jury. Three, the prosecutors or jury engaged in misconduct that prejudiced the defendant. Four, the defendant's attorneys were not competent. This is called ineffective assistance of counsel. And five, the evidence was insufficient to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Under NRS 176.515, defendants typically have only seven days after the guilty verdict to file a motion for a new trial. But if there is newly discovered evidence, the motion may be made within two years after the guilty verdict. Also, there is no time limit to ask for a new trial for a defendant convicted of a Category A or B felony who gets a genetic marker analysis that suggests they may be innocent. If you need a criminal defense attorney, call my legal team for a free consultation at 702 Defense. Our experienced lawyers at the Las Vegas Defense Group We'll do everything we can to achieve the best resolution possible in your case. Yes, I signed those documents, blah, blah, blah. They don't actually charge him for anything. What ends up happening is a few months later, he fails a urine test, several urine tests, and they pull his probation and he goes back to jail for 30 months on a probation violation. But he probably wouldn't have gotten the 30 months did they not already know he was involved in another scam. Does that make sense? Like, mm -hmm. I can't say, oh, it was just a probation violation because they knew he had he was involved in another in a in a scam. So they hit him pretty hard for for a, a dirty urine. So those two people are the only people that ended up going to trial. Everybody else are going to prison. Everyone else. um had basically um skated they were never never grabbed never indicted or they were indicted but they were never prosecuted many times the police obtain a search warrant by uh, taking evidence uh, that they uh, got from an informant to the judge and they have to show the judge that that informant was reliable and, of course, they're going to tell the judge, oh, yes, this is a reliable informant. Uh, uh, we have a lot of confidence in him.
But we're not going to take the police for their word at that. We're going to go back and we're going to examine the reliability of that informant ourselves. Many times we find the informant is a junkie, the informant is a drug addict, the informant has provided unreliable information before, or the police made some special deal with the informant to make accusations against our client in return for getting a break on their case. If we can show that the informant was unreliable, that the information was uncorroborated, that it was not plausible that the informant provided, then many times we can get the search warrant quashed, we can force the police to, to divulge the identity of the informant, and if we can do that, quite often we can get the evidence thrown out of court and the case dismissed had like a long way to go before you reached your peak. Oh yeah, yeah. Well I had no clientele. You okay. Know, I had no clientele. And um it, it took a while. It took maybe six months to build to build trust in the community and to build clientele. So thousands of these credit cards, you're literally taking these little holograms and you're physically like placing them on each of these credit each cards one. with your hands, each like one. hand by hand. Yeah, each one. Each credit card, each shit, each card's dude. handmade. How long does that take? How long does it take to do one card? Oh, I had it down. I could, I could print one card in less than five minutes. I could print I could everything. Print, print I it, could, stick everything onto it. Yeah, well, yeah. See, I would already have all the, I would already have all the, the templates lined up in Photoshop. Okay, like ready to go. All my windows open. Bomb, 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 bomb. You know what I mean? And then I would load maybe like ten or fifteen cards in the printer, mm -hmm. and I would be like, okay. Print in sequence. Print one. Print two. Print three. Print four. Print five. So then it would it would run out all the cards. Print them front and back. You know okay. what I mean? It would put the put all. And the, the only thing I really had to do myself was emboss and do the hologram. So I would have to physically place the hologram myself and use a heat press to adhere it to the plastic. Mm -hmm. And then I would have to 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 manually emboss the card myself. And this is before I got the auto embosser, where I could just throw them in and do a batch, and it would you know run a fifty or hundred at a time. Damn. Yeah. So when I got down, when I got really efficient at it, I could maybe do a hundred cards in an hour. About an hour, I could print hologram and emboss about a hundred. So you make close to a hundred, a thousand cards in a day. Yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm cranking away, but then you know sometimes you have problems. Mm -hmm. The printer starts gets too hot and starts fucking melting cards and mm -hmm. printing shit sideways. You know, so you've yeah. always got little issues, right? Yeah, like that you got to deal with. But yeah, I could do a thousand cards in a day. What's the most cards day? that you did in a day? You think that I've manufactured in one day? Mm -hmm. I think I've done about eight hundred, six between six and eight hundred in wow. one day. You know, on a good day, if everything mm -hmm. was going right and I had mm -hmm. all my equipment operating mm -hmm. properly. Yeah. Okay, so how did you start getting this, getting this out there on on online or on these black market on these uh, um, on the dark web and start getting customers to buy shitloads of them? Yeah. So, so the initially the first uh, Carter forum that I was on, I went ahead and I just made my first post. Here I am, new vendor. Right. Um, here's my product. You know, you post pictures. It's like a whole, well, it was like a whole thing, not anymore. And then, you know, I would get maybe like one or two orders a month, mm -hmm. you know, 
And then once those orders came in and like people started leaving positive feedback, it just kind of snowballed after that. And then I remember the day, because I would only get maybe one or two orders, but I remember the day I woke up and I checked, I think I checked one of my emails and I had 15 or 20, 20 orders waiting for me and I couldn't believe it. How much per, how much? $1,000. One order is $1,000? Yeah. For how many cards? A uh, hundred. A hundred cards. Yeah, it's twenty dollars a card. Hundred cards. Two drivers, or you get. I'd make IDs for you, however many you wanted, and then I would do. I think it was like hundred cards embossed, everything encoded, numbers, and IDs. And IDs. <coughs> yeah. Holy but shit! But I wouldn't make a hundred IDs. Obviously, I'd make like two or three. Okay. You know, or whatever that whatever they wanted. But it I mean you know. So there, there was a cap on that. So the IDs have to obviously correspond with the credit cards. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because say you go to a store and you make a purchase, um, and it's over like three or four hundred dollars. Uh, like a lot of stores, like people don't realize this, but a lot of stores, like say Best Buy, you go mm-hmm. to Best Buy, if you make a purchase over three hundred dollars, they ask physically ask for your card, mm-hmm. and they physically take your card. And they, they go on their POS machine. Now, their POS machine, the point-of-sale service machine, won't let them process the sale unless the four digits on the front of the card match what's actually encoded to the card. Mm. So it's like, a, it's like a security step. So what they do is they take the card and they punch the numbers into the computer because you've already swiped it. So they're going to punch these numbers in. And if these numbers on the front of the card don't match what's being swiped, it's automatic fraud. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to have the corresponding plastic to match the to match the numbers, and you have to have the ID because they're going to ask for for ID because a I don't have the people's pin number, so you're not processing it as debit. You always have to process it as credit, even though it's a debit card. Got it. So they have to have ID when you process anything for credit. They always ask for ID, always, especially if it's a big purchase. Right. You know. Huh. Louis Vuitton, you go to Louis Vuitton and try and buy a $2,000 handbag on a credit card, they're going to ask you for ID. Right, right. 1,000%. Yeah. You yeah. know? Even if you even if you go in there looking the part, they're still mm-hmm. going to ask. They always ask for ID. Right. You know? So you have to have the ID to match the card. Everything mm-hmm. has the jive. The numbers, okay. everything has the to, to be coherent. Okay, so is there a minimum number of cards they had to buy for one order? So is the minimum a hundred card? Minimum 100? it was a thousand dollar minimum order. Okay, so it was a hundred cards. And things that you'll talk about in the pleading topic are amendments. So remember earlier I said if you don't assert an affirmative defense in your answer, it's waived. Well, you might be able to fix that by amending your answer. We're going to look at that in the civil procedure course. Most of you should cover that. That's covered by Rule Fifteen. I want to fix my complaint. Maybe someone files a motion in response to the complaint saying, there's not enough detail here. Well, can the plaintiff then say, well, then I'll just fix it. I'm going to file an amended complaint. Right? So there are rules that allow you to do amended complaints without the permission of the court. Sometimes you need the court's permission. That's the topic of amendments. There's advanced concepts in the amendment space where you may want to add things to the complaint after the statute of limitations has expired. That goes to this when. When do you have to bring a case? Usually there's a deadline. Sometimes it's two years after the incident, sometimes it's three years, etc. 
What if you file a case right before the two-year deadline? Now you're going along and discovering you find, uh-oh, I sued the wrong person. I was supposed to sue John, but I sued Mike. So I want to file an amended complaint to substitute John. Can that relate back to before the two-year period? It can under certain circumstances. So this is something else which you'll talk about in Rule 15 coverage, which deals with amendments. A last piece of the pleadings topic which we're dealing with here is something called Rule 11. And this is a rule that imposes a requirement to be truthful in pleading. So obviously you can't just make stuff up. If you make things up in a complaint and the defendant calls you out on it, they can file a motion for sanctions under Rule 11. And that's punishment that the court will visit on the attorney and the parties and the law firm that's responsible for the violation. So you'll study what the requirements are of Rule 11 and the means that you have to use to get sanctions from the court to punish people who have violated it. Joinder is the next topic that's typically covered. And this deals with joinder of claims and joinder of parties. So I mentioned earlier a counterclaim up there. That's what we have in this initial uh, lawsuit. And I'll redraw it down here. So we have a plaintiff versus his defendant. This is our initial claim of $100,000. Now we have a counterclaim of $50,000. All right, well, what if the plaintiff wants to sue the defendant for something else besides this car accident? They may have another dispute that's unrelated to the car accident. And it's just a coincidence, but they have some sort of uh, breach of contract dispute. So, and let's say this is only for $50,000. So now you have multiple questions here. First, as always, is there jurisdiction over this $50,000 breach of contract claim, which has nothing to do with this? Now remember I said for supplemental jurisdiction, claims have to be related to each other. These claims are not related to each other. Does that mean there's no jurisdiction over that claim? No, it doesn't. Why not? It goes way back to something I mentioned at the beginning, aggregation. A plaintiff can add however many claims they have related or unrelated to each other to get the, the jurisdictional amount in controversy. So this plaintiff can actually add 100 to, to 50 to get $150,000 in controversy. So even though it's unrelated and it's insufficient on its own through aggregation, it qualifies for a diversity jurisdiction. So no jurisdictional problems there. The other question is, can they join this in this lawsuit? So they're not just a jurisdictional issue, joinder. What allows me to bring two completely unrelated claims in one case? They have nothing to do with each other. Not going to be the same witnesses, not the same evidence. Can you do this? The answer is yes. Because the rules of civil procedure expressly provide for it. That's rule 18A. This is a rule that's rule 13 B, if it's related, if it's 13A, 13B, if it's unrelated, you're going to learn all these things in civil procedure. So, joinder covers claim joinder, counterclaims, then it can get even more complex. Let's put another plaintiff down here. 
So now we got P1 and P2. This guy was from New York. We had Texas over here. Now we're going to put another New Yorker here. Now why would we have two plaintiffs? So this might be the driver of the car. This could be the passenger that was with the driver. She was injured too, right? So can they bring a lawsuit together or do they have to split up? There's a rule that governs this. This is rule 20. So you're going to study this. So this person might have a claim here. What if their claim is only for $50,000? Well, that's too low. Can you add it? No. Maybe there's supplemental jurisdiction. You'll learn about that. What happens when it gets a little spicier and they start doing this? All right? Now, we were friends. And that defendant understanding, I've got two other guys that feel the same way that we're going to hear today. And mutually respecting each other and the limits on that is important. Judge, when, when you, after you sentence an individual and they're sentenced to the custody of the attorney general, they go into the prison system, on rare occasions, they have an opportunity to come before you again for some type of resentencing, some issues. How does their behavior in prison, can that have some influence on your decision if you have the opportunity to reassess this candidate several years later? There's enormous considerations. Um, I see it all the time. Um, we've just gone through a rash of people who've been resentenced um, based on armed career offenders and other situations that come in front of us. If somebody's in federal prison, they've had no violations, um, that tells me they'll have no violations when they get out, which is what I want. My uh, fairy tale view of the world is that this, the sentence in the Bureau of Prisons is supposed to be the punishment aspect of it, and that supervised release is where we hopefully give people some skills and support. It's a monitoring to make sure they generally follow the rules of society. And so if you've not had any problems in prison, my thought is you won't have any problems when you get out. And so it allows me to take a risk. It allows me to take a risk. If you had no violations on supervised release, to be removed from supervised release early, maybe after a couple of years of doing everything positive. I've seen letters where people have come, have spent a year pre-trial at some small county prison waiting to come, and they've developed a positive relationship with the guards and volunteered in the kitchen and done positive things there. And the guards have greatly appreciated and did not become a character reference, but just said, Steve has done everything we've asked him to. He's gotten up early and he's worked in the kitchen. And he's been a positive influence on the other inmates. Well, that's pretty darn compelling. That means you can play by the rules and, you, and you're gonna get out. I mean, there's very few people that get life. You're going to get out, and you're most likely going to be back in front of the sentencing judge if there's ever a screw-up again. Um, and to have a clean record in prison uh, is an enormous positive star in your crown.
Judge, you've been very gracious with your time and you've responded to all of our questions. And I know that our audience will learn a great deal in listening from you. You are telling the people exactly what we try to convey in prison professors, that it's never too early and it's never too late to begin sowing seeds for a better life. And I really wanna thank you for spending the time this afternoon and sharing your wisdom with our audience. Mr. Santos, I, I appreciate you having me on. It's a, it's a distinct honor. I mean, this is one of those times and we as a society, this is us. This is we're governing ourselves. This is our democracy. Uh, the individuals that you're serving are citizens and uh, we can all we can all improve and become better and you're an important part of that so thank you for what you do sir thank you and god bless the most serious type of felony is a category a felony and that would include first degree murder it would include first degree kidnapping sexual assault production of child pornography, amongst others. A Category A felony subjects an individual to a maximum punishment, if it's first-degree murder, of death. Otherwise, Category A felonies are punished by a penalty of up to life in prison without the possibility of parole or life in prison with the possibility of parole. Nobody wants to find out that they have an outstanding warrant. And we get a lot of calls from people that have uh, gone to renew their license at the DMV, for example, and found out that they had a warrant. Uh, maybe they were arrested. Maybe they were just told about it. Uh, sometimes people get pulled over and an officer may write them a citation and not actually arrest them on the warrant, but inform them that they have a warrant. But whatever the facts and circumstances may be, it's never fun to find out that you have a warrant for your arrest. Uh, depending on what type of warrant it is, we may be able to go into court for you and have the court quash the warrant. Uh, quashing the warrant basically means uh, when you appear, either personally or through counsel, the court once again has jurisdiction over you. They no longer have to utilize the warrant to arrest you and bring you before the court. When you voluntary, voluntarily appear before the court, there's a pretty good chance that the court will quash the warrant, allow you to remain out of custody until you resolve your legal matter. Uh, a warrant can lie for uh, a felony charge, a misdemeanor charge, or even a traffic ticket. And it's very important to clear up your warrants because obviously uh, nobody wants to go to jail, especially unexpectedly. So um, if you have a warrant, um, call 702 Defense. Uh, prison system and about post-conviction opportunities. And uh, as you can see, he's, he's very open and transparent and happy to share with you what he's learned. Thank you. Thank you too. Las Vegas casino security are not the police. They may only perform citizen's arrests 
which every person has the right to do if they witness criminal activity or believe a felony has been committed. If a casino security guard arrests you, remember to maintain your right to remain silent. And depending on the situation, your attorney may be able to show the prosecutor that the casino security performed an illegal citizen's arrest and that any charges against you should be dismissed. However, there is one situation where casino security is legally allowed to take casino patrons to the fabled back room for questioning. That's for allegedly cheating while gambling. Under NRS 465.101, casino security may detain a person for a reasonable length of time and question him or her if they have probable cause to believe that that person was cheating during gambling. During this time, casino security has no obligation to give patrons Miranda warnings and remind them of their right to remain silent. However, patrons should absolutely remain tight-lipped and give up no information other than their name. Then if the police arrive, the patrons should continue to stay silent and speak only to their lawyer. So if you've been arrested by security at a Las Vegas casino, call the Las Vegas Defense Group at 702-DEFENSE and we'll talk about ways to get your charges reduced or dismissed. And in some cases, we may even be able to sue the security guard or hotel for the damages that they've caused. They just don't. They're laborers and we're going to cash some of their checks. And he goes, okay, that makes sense. Leaves, comes back. Finally comes back and I said, hey, what's going on? You know, and he says, listen, he said, uh, I just, we're just doing a series of checks on, to verify things. And I go, okay. And he says, uh, I said, well, what are you doing? He goes, well, we're trying to, he said, we, it turns out that this check was issued uh, by, on, a, on a house owned by a Michael Shanahan. And I was like, right, right. And he goes, he said, right, so we're just trying to verify uh, that Michael Shanahan issued the check. That's all. Well, there's a real Michael Shanahan. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> well, that's not good. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So he leaves. Becky calls. What's going on? They're trying to call Michael Shanahan. She's like, get out of the bank. And I'm like, I can't. This guy's got my shit. I leave the bank for sure. They're calling the cops. I have to wait. Hang up the phone. A minute later, my phone rings. I look at it. I don't recognize the number. I pick it up and I go, hello. And there's a woman like, hi, this is Kimberly from SunTrust Bank. Is this Michael Shanahan? I'm like, yes, it is. And she goes, hi, uh, we have someone here at the bank trying to cash a cashier's check uh, that was drawn on your, your, on your, uh, from the title company. And I'm like, okay. And they said, uh, what was, do you, you know, who was the, how much was the amount for? I said, yeah, that was Scott Cugno. It was 30, about $29,000 even, I think. And she says, that's right. Mr. Thank you very much, Mr. Shannon. I said, hey, how did you get my number? Because if you called information, you would have got his real number. And, and I go, how'd you get my number? Oh, we called the title company. They looked on the application that I had filled out, and I'd used the cell number. And they said, we just got it off of there. I hope it's okay. No problem. No problem. Okay, thank you. Boom. Hang up the phone. Five minutes later, still, the guy comes out with some woman, counts out the money to me, gives me the money. I stand up, and he says, Mr. Cugno, 
I would like to um, say that I feel very uncomfortable about this transaction. And I said, well, what is it exactly? And he goes, you know, I can't put my finger on it. And I said, well, I'm, it'll come to you. <laughs> and I walk off. Listen, I was terrified. Fucking terrified. I like to think that when the Secret Service showed up, you know, five, six days later, a week later, he realized I was there. They're not doing any research themselves. Nobody's, trust me, I guarantee no reporter picked up the phone or went to the prison, or sorry, went to the jail or wrote a letter. Nobody tried to talk to, to Lugo. Doesn't even matter. The point is, is most of these newspaper uh, newspapers will just get this art or this press release from the U.S. attorney and just rewrite it. And so I read uh, like three articles, but they're all basically the same. They have a little bit different information, you know, slightly different, but it's all pretty much the same. So here's what apparently Lugo was doing. Because it, you can't go open a company. So, you know, you can't open a company and then turn around and apply for a PPP loan. Because... The IRS is, or whoever's handling it is going to go, the COVID Relief Foundation or fund or whoever's handling it, they're going to look at your application and they're going to say, this thing was open two weeks ago. How is it you have 30 employees that you need $500,000 to continue to pay? And that's just, that, that, that's not how it works. So you have to get existing companies. And sometimes those existing companies have to have filed taxes. So it sounds to me like what Lugo did was he went and he got, now keep in mind, a lot of these times you can get these companies, you can buy a comp, you can go online and buy a company that's been in existence for years. So it's like a, it's like a shell company. And so you go buy a company that's been in existence for years, or you can go to, um, you can go to the, uh, um, secretary of state's websites for most states. And if somebody has a corporation that was open 10 years ago, and maybe they paid their fees for two years and then they stopped and the, the company's inactive, you can typically go and just pay the back payments, the back fees, the annual fees on those companies and take that company over. So now, then if you really get creative, you could actually file back taxes for the company. You don't have to pay in. You just have to file. So sounds to me like what he's doing, what he did was he Lugo's not that smart, though, by the way. He's not going to figure all that out. What he's most likely did, and what it basically seems like it says in most of these articles, is that he went to, one, a couple of companies that he already owned, and he applied for PPP loans in those companies' names, saying, hey, I have employees that I have to pay, and um, the company's been around for so many years, and I have 10 employees, and I need... $300,000 or $100,000 or whatever the amount of money is. 
and I need that money to pay my employees. And they, they then say, okay, well, the company's been around for five years. I can see that it claimed taxes last year and okay, give them the money. So it's like, it's just boom. They're just giving them the money. He did 70 companies. He applied for loans in the, in, for 70 different companies. And it, based on what the uh, articles say, it sounds to me like what he did was he went to friends and family and probably, probably friends of his family, like, you know, a friend of a friend, anybody that he knew that owned a company or he could get to you and you know, somebody that owns a company, you know, I'll give them this much and work. I'll apply for the PPP loan because he's having success. And he probably goes and says, no, no, you don't understand. You just, here's how it works. And you know, you put it in such a way that it makes that sound like, look, you're going to get a hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to give you $20,000. I'm going to do all the paperwork and you're not going to have to pay these people back at all. So it's a free $20,000, whatever that's, whatever his agreement with those people is, are, because let's face it, he's not, they're not going to do it for nothing. Well, it sounds to me like that's what he did. And he applied for 70 different PPP loans. Uh, to the tune of $5.8 million, nearly $6 million. It sounds to me like he got out over a million at least. I mean, just the numbers that they're throwing down here. I mean, he's gambling. He lost 60 something thousand dollars at a casino. He spent $350,000 on something else. He paid off a, you know, some luxury, uh, SUV he did. I mean, he, he's buying, uh, all kinds of designer, uh, clothes and designer, you know, all kind of jewelry and, you know, all that stuff. And he's living in a big house and he's renovating houses. And it, look, he needed, he probably got a million, maybe $2 million. I think he pulled out, I think he pulled out. They said he pulled out in cash, $350,000 in cash. That's what they can't, that's just what the, what the, what the FBI or whoever arrested them, uh, that's what they can't account for. Like we can't account for this because he got that out in cash. Everything else they can kind of figure out. So you can imagine what you can buy. That boy is definitely happy with this decision because he took the social media and made a statement immediately when this happened. Or, you know, as soon as it, it made news. Now, in his post on social media, Rack Boy had this to say, man. And it just seemed like, man, he was really, really excited about the judgment. But this is what he said verbatim. He said, this has been a very lengthy and tedious process. I'm grateful for the outcome and I'm thankful it's all behind me. I'm excited to get back into the studio and continue creating music for my fans. I wish the best for all parties on current and future endeavors. It's Rack Boys, SZN, Are You Dumb? And then I don't know what emoji that is, but it looks like a circle. And then hashtag Rack Boys, hashtag Jersey. So, man, 
it looks like, man, things are looking up for Rack Boy. And he was even posted, he even reposted some of the people who took the social media to make memes about the situation like this. He reposted this, man, and somebody, they posted the, the they took his head and put it on Chris Tucker's face from the uh, Rush Hour movie. And it basically says this, it said, Rack Boy Cam all summer after winning that $1.7 million. Laughing emojis, nothing but, you know what, you know what, you know what. For him now, man. And I had to block out those other things because, you know, they're not good for this platform. Now, Rack Boy thought it was funny, obviously, because he posted this. He said, chill, y'all cooking on the internet. And it was more memes that people were posting, but, man, it goes to show that, you know, he was taking this real well. Of course, because he won. But, man, it seems like PMB rocking them. Might be punching this, punching the air right now, man. They thinking about that money that they just lost. Now, in the news article, it doesn't say what type of you know judgment it was. It doesn't say where where they sued in civil court. I'm sure it was, man. Because I mean, I don't know, man. When it comes to copyrights, I'm not really sure. But it just seems like, man, for them, for all the news publications and you know hip hop sites to pick this up. It must have been a clear-cut deal, and this is official, man. So it looks like Rack Boy got a little bit of change to invest into his music career, and PMB rocking them, they're going to lose on the front end and a little bit of the publishing and all that on the back end. But I don't think this is going to hurt their career in any type of way, man. I mean, YF and Lucci, his hands are full right now. He's got his thing that he's dealing with, and PMB rock. It's still just making sure that he's cranking out hits. I know he just did a joint pretty much with everybody from OTF, including a song with uh, King Von that, that he did before, that they did together before he passed away. So it seems like he's back in that mode to be working on music. So all in all, maybe this is a win for everybody. I don't know. I'm just trying to keep it positive, I guess. But what do you guys think, man? Do you think that taking this hit to your pocket for YFN Lucci and PNB Rock specifically is one of the worst things that can happen in the music business? I'll tell you this, man. After looking at a whole bunch of stories, this is a common occurrence. This happens all the time. People pay money to get things right. The other person gets a little piece of the song. Things move on. So, I mean, this might not be the worst thing in the world. But is this just another negative notch on YFN Lucci's belt with everything that he's got going on right now? Now, with that, this being your boy, Big Man, please hit that like button. Please hit that subscribe button. And make sure you hit that notification bell so that way you get a notification every time I drop this hot content. And we out of here. Peace. I'm Las Vegas criminal defense attorney Michael Becker. People struggling with substance abuse addiction do not need prison. They need help. Fortunately, many districts in Nevada offer drug court as an alternative to incarceration. And upon successful completion of drug court, the narcotics charge will be completely dismissed so that there is no conviction on the defendant's record. Here are five things to know. One, Nevada drug court is open to addicts facing a first-time charge of felony drug possession, misdemeanor drug possession, or unlawful drug use. Two, drug court participants are required to attend an outpatient rehab and education program once or twice a week 
appear regularly in court so the judge may monitor their progress and submit to random drug testing. Three, drug court typically lasts about one year and costs around $1,500. Four, defendants who violate the terms of drug court may get a second chance to stay in the program but the judge has full discretion to throw non-compliant defendants out of the program, convict them of the original drug offenses, and probably send them to jail. And five, after defendants finish drug court and the drug charge gets dismissed, the court will seal their record. Therefore, the charge should no longer show up on future background checks. If you're facing charges in Nevada, contact the Las Vegas Defense Group at 702-333-1600 to discuss your case free of charge. My team of experienced criminal defense attorneys will fight to get your charges reduced or dismissed. When I, when I, when I go out of town, I actually go to Peachy. I go in That's all I was using. at seven fifty a day. Yes. And he said, yo, he'll just go down there, he pay the seven fifty, yes. leave, they go pick it That's up. That's what I was doing before I got my lot. And what's right. crazy, I was paying all this money to Peachy this whole time, not knowing that the lot that I was soon to have was right next to it. Right I next had, door. Um, here's, the, here's the clutch, Hutch Clutch Play. So Peachy, they use a third party called Way, uh, W-A-Y. Yep. And I was paying half the price that Peachy charges. On way. On way. Yo, they be having joints for $2, That's what I was paying. $2, because this was before I knew about the airport drop. I'm like, I'm not going to be paying $36 for these parking tickets no more. Yeah. I'm going to drop the car off at the airport, mm-hmm. parking lot, peachy, pay $2, and then charge the guests for the, for the $2. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then, so, the beautiful thing is, they'll pick the car up. From Peachy, going about their way to travel. When they drop the car off at Peachy, they can take the Peachy shuttle back to the airport. Mm. Smooth process. Perfect. Perfect. Smooth process. If I have to pick up the car, or one of my team members have to pick up the car, right? They'll take the train, this Atlantic station, there's a train that goes straight to the airport. So they don't have to worry about driving, getting caught in traffic. Yeah. It was a smooth ride to the airport. Pick the car up and move on from there. So what's so, uh, and it's so crazy because you've been doing this for it's only two years. Two years, We're going crazy, and you're just now you just now put out your course, and yeah, that's a fact. Yo, I, I don't know how many courses you sold, <laughs> like the like the first release, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Knocking on my door for this. Yeah, because people been asking you for yes. for two years, yes. yo, put me on. Yes, I've been sharing this. Yeah, and I and I for saw free. Right, right, right. But you know, my my boys, they they was like, bro, drop the course, package right. this material, and drop in, in a course form. So I ain't gonna lie, him five hundred Marcus, he he was on my neck, mm. Neo on my neck about dropping a course, yeah. calling me, bro, you gotta drop a course. You know how he talks. Right. You gotta drop the course, or we're gonna do it. I'm like, oh, 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 chill out, chill out, chill out, chill out. What you mean you're gonna drop the tour? All right, all right, I'll, I'll drop it next week. Right, right. So I posted my Instagram, like, yo, everybody, I'm dropping this course. Here's the date. I didn't even build it out yet. I knew setting a date is gonna force me to do it. Because mm. I'm so used to giving out the game for free, enjoying the, the responses. 
that I didn't feel right charging for it. Yeah. Right? But that I got a bar with that where if I don't charge, you know how me to be talking yeah. to. If I don't charge, they're not going to put it into action. They're not yeah. going to respect it. You already know that, how that sure. works, too. So I said, cool. I'm going to charge. You see, I'm going to test out the price. I charge $12.99. As soon as I put on my Instagram stories, I'm launching the course. I'm doing pre-sales. Cash at me. I got... Cash at Cash at went crazy. Man, man, look at my cash at right here. Where my phone at? Let me see. Cash up right now. Cash I'm gonna, I'm gonna show it wasn't you a link. It wasn't no credit card. And they trust me. Most people are like, nah, that's the cash That's the fact. I, and I believe because you built a, and you know, for those that know you, know, like, you are a very credible person, yeah, very honest. Like, I'm it's there. not, we know that, like, Steve. money ain't your biggest thing. Yeah. You feel me? So when you put out something, they're like, yo, I'm here for it. I rock that's with it. That's what happened, man. I got instant feedback. I, I didn't know that people were willing to pay for this information, but I had to stop devaluing the, devaluing this information. This information, if I had it, I would have saved that $2,800. Yeah. I would have saved all the money I lost in the beginning stages, st- stages to the point where I now just, yo, here's the course information. If you need to know, I have it all documented here. So what's, what's, what's in the course? Talk to me about what's whole in the process. Course. How to buy a vehicle. The best way how to not get finessed by the salespeople. <laughs> Anytime somebody goes to the dealership, you the think you're going to be there in there for an hour? How long did most people be in the dealership for? Forever. Four hours, five hours, six hours. And they beat your brain until, until you feel like you just want to die. Mm. So that's when they get you in the finance room and they have you signing all these. Per- oh, you need warranty? It's just going to be an extra $20 on your monthly payment. <laughs> sign here. Man, just invite Give me the keys, man. Get invite you. It prevents that in that session. I teach how to uh, figure out what business model you want. Do you want to be an owner in this business, meaning you cash out a car or finance a car under your name? Or do you want to be a broker where you're a middleman between the cars? Meaning you don't have to get the car yourself. David, his Range Rover... Somebody wants a Range Rover. I'm in the middle of saying, yo, you need a Range Rover? David got it for you. He charges $200 a day. You can pay him directly and run me my $50 to let you know about that bucket. Mm. That's a broker. You're the middleman. Yo, let me ask you this. Because a guy sent me a DM. Um, hold on. Um, a, a guy sent me a, a – I, I think I made a post about it. And um, a guy – uh, he sent me a DM about um, his car. Nobody wants to find out that they have an outstanding warrant. And we get a lot of calls from people that have uh, gone to renew their license at the DMV, for example, and found out that they had a warrant. Uh, maybe they were arrested. Maybe they were just told about it. Uh, sometimes people get pulled over and an officer may write them a citation and not actually arrest them on the warrant, but inform them that they have a warrant. But whatever the facts and circumstances may be, it's never fun to find out that you have a warrant for your arrest. Uh, Depending on what type of warrant it is, we may be able to go into court for you and have the court quash the warrant. Uh, Quashing the warrant basically means uh, when you appear, 
either personally or through counsel. The court once again has jurisdiction over you. They no longer have to utilize the warrant to arrest you and bring you before the court. When you voluntary, voluntarily appear before the court, there's a pretty good chance that the court will quash the warrant, allow you to remain out of custody until you resolve your legal matter. Uh, a warrant can lie for uh, a felony charge, a misdemeanor charge, or even a traffic ticket. And it's very important to clear up your warrants because obviously uh, nobody wants to go to jail, especially unexpectedly. So um, if you have a warrant, um, call 702 Defense, uh, speak to our office, and we can get your matter placed on calendar. We can get you before the court, and we can keep you, in most cases, from going to jail. I'm attorney Michael Becker with the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you or a loved one has been charged with a criminal offense in Las Vegas or throughout the state of Nevada, trust in me and my legal team to get your case dismissed or otherwise negotiate a resolution that causes minimal harm to you in your future. These generic guidelines in Chapter 3, victim-related adjustments, role in the offense adjustments, obstruction adjustments, multiple counts, and acceptance of responsibility. These victim-related adjustments include hate crime motivation, for which three additional offense levels will be added, or vulnerable victim, for which two additional offense levels will be added, or if, if there are large numbers of multiple victims, uh, it's two additional levels on top of that other two for vulnerable victim. Official victim uh, is a three additional offense level increase, and if you have someone somehow associated with this offense that was a, an official, or an official's family member or something, your antenna should go up. Uh, restraint of the victim is a two offense level increase. And if it's a terrorism offense, uh, we add 12 additional offense levels. And this guideline is somewhat unique, very unique for a chapter uh, three adjustment. Uh, and that is, it sets a floor, a floor of 32. And it was by adding 12 levels, if you haven't gotten to to a floor of 32, by adding 12 levels, you drop on down to a 32 on the sentencing table. This one also has the uniqueness of affecting your criminal history category. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Now, these Chapter 3 adjustments under Part A for victim-related adjustments, some obviously are used more often than others. The ones I'll just sort of point out that you are much more likely to see our vulnerable victim, vulnerable victim comes up in a lot of fraud cases where you have uh, people that are being defrauded because of their vulnerability. Uh, uh, the restraint of victim comes up in some robbery situations, but, but not terribly much. And I don't think that official victim or terrorism are used uh, hardly at all. In our scenario, did we have restraint of victim? Okay. Now, how many think just off the top of your head that you would add the additional two offense level increase here. Your initial thinking should be, yep, I'm getting ready to add this. However, if the Chapter 2 guideline you have gotten through using, and again, we don't know which Chapter 2 guideline you started with, 
but if the one you did use has taken this factor into consideration, then do not add it a second time. It's an attempt by the commission to have you not what some refer to as double count. Basically, the commission's position has been, unless we tell you to do otherwise, assume as you go through guideline application, probably you're going to be giving these things. So if we didn't have the application note here saying, don't give restraint a victim if chapter two did it, you probably should make the assumption the commission intended for you to give it back there at chapter two and to give it again here. That has been the basic approach. Although again, the case law is headed in a somewhat different direction. Chapter three, part B. Role in the offense, it, it has aggravating role, which can add four, three, or two additional offense levels. Mitigating role, which can reduce the offense levels. Abuse of position of trust or use of a skill, which can increase the offense level. Or using a minor to commit the offense adds additional offense levels as well. Okay, the obstruction adjustments in chapter three at part C. Uh, there's one for obstructing or impeding the administration of justice. Uh, the other is for reckless endangerment during flight. Obstruction can be obstructing both the investigation, the prosecution, and the sentencing. So there are a lot of things that could occur that would give us two offense level increase that occur after the offense is well over with. Uh, the defendant could be coming in giving some kind of material false information to the probation officer uh, in some investigation for the court, and that could trigger that. Uh, or the defendant uh, could at trial uh, essentially commit perjury, uh, and the court make the determination there was obstruction occurring in that regard. So uh, there are things that can happen beyond the offense itself uh, that could trigger this obstruction increase. The reckless endangerment during flight, uh, that characteristic occurs, uh, I think, most often in relation to immigration cases where people are coming across the border and these high-speed chases and there's a reckless endangerment that occurs. Acceptance responsibility, Chapter 3, Part E, and that provides for a two-offense level reduction if the defendant clearly demonstrates affirmative acceptance responsibility for the offense. It does not require that an individual plead guilty to get acceptance responsibility and get the two levels off. Uh, however, it can't be one of these last minute sort of conversions where the defense says, oh, now I'm convicted, I'd like to get two more levels off. The commission says that it should be viewed from the position as to what has this defendant done up until the time of trial in terms of behavior that would uh, manifest acceptance. If two levels are given, and only if the two levels have been given, then there's a potential third level off if you're at offense level 16 or higher. In other words, coming down this table, if you're 16 or further down on the table, uh, then it's potentially a third level off. Uh, that one it re requires a couple of different ways. The one that happens most often, we find, is that if the defendant early on will come in and save the a $200 smart car. Of a $200 smart car. You just turn your credit to cash. You're making 1800 bucks a month. 
<clears throat> off a of smart car. Mm. But since we're hearing you, my man, that's 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 turning credit to cash. Sure. But what people don't know, and they say, listen, this is my, my goal is this, is that we in the 21st century, we don't live in the the early 80s, in the, the, the early 90s, late 80s. We have such an issue with assets and liabilities. Mm-hmm. I thought it said it on your shirt. Okay, so, right, <laughs> is that with assets and liabilities, we're stuck in the only only realistic liability we have in today's society is our mindset. The way that we can think, the way that we can judge, and the way that we can execute. So when people look at a vehicle, now I just turn that vehicle, which most people say is a liability, into an asset. So you mean to tell me, they go, oh, you should leasing because cars are depreciating, um, they're depreciating liabilities. But in today's society, we got apps like Turo. In today's society, we got things like HireCar. In today's society, we got Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta that that movie sets that literally rent cars and pull them on trucks and don't even put miles on them. To where now, if you have an exotic vehicle or a nice vehicle, you can make it an actual asset because it generates capital more than it depreciates. So if you know the depreciation calculation of what it's going to depreciate and it makes more than that, this is an asset. Now it's a cash-driven asset. We have to get our mind out the way and start learning how to use technology. We let people sit there and tell us, yeah, we should lease vehicles and do this. Listen, if the vehicle pays for itself, and then in the, in the time, by the time it depreciates to its bottom dollar, if it's already paid for itself, I now have a car free and clear that if I do get ready to sell it, mm. I still can have, it has a solid resale value. Wow. You've never seen a Rolls Royce for under 150000 I don't care what year you get. Wow. Ferraris under 150000 I don't care what year you get. Well, Ferraris are, but Lamborghinis is certain cars that's always going to have a certain amount of value. Well, if you get one at the right year, it's easy to generate the capital off of it. It's just the mindset. See, people will trick us into saying, oh, stay out of position of of mediocrity and, you know, only invest in, 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 in assets. And you go look and say, well, what's assets? What's the assets? Why is the only thing that consider uh, liabilities things that we like? How can we make... Explain that, explain that, explain that. The things that we like, right? You look at it. People say liabilities, clothes, right? I'm, I jump on a private jet, whole family and Fendi. Go, oh, you know, that's a lot of money to spend on, on clothes, on these designer clothes. I say, well, these clothes last two years, though. Mm-hmm. When you wash the clothes that you went and bought from Walmart because you saved a, a couple bucks on your outfit, one, it don't look as good, and it right. don't feel as good. For sure. And it, it, it's just reality. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't last as long either. Yeah. It's the reason why Kanye West threw a tantrum and said they won't allow us into their factories because the materials that they use are better than the materials that come on the on the cheaper materials. It's a difference, right? Mm. It's a difference. Got but, it, got it, got it. But then they go, 
but it's expensive and it is, it's not worth the money. So I teach people, I say, listen, I turn credit to cash. So I run a business and I run ads. I run fifty to $60,000 a month in ads. Mm. I get four points per dollar whenever I run ads. Well, because I'm growing my business, guess so what? You, you get four points per dollar. Yes. What do you mean? On my American Express Gold, they give you four points per dollar when you run ads. So. Also, oh, you run the ads using your American Express card. Boom. Gotcha. Then all of my other business expenses, um, fulfillments, and things like that. So if I'm spending, you know, as my business grows, I'm spending over $100,000 a month. Well, if my business is growing, I'm spending $100,000 a month, and I'm getting four points per dollar, guess what? What do you do with your reward points? Most people don't know. I teach people when they start off how not to pay for groceries and your expenses. Keep your expenses low as, as you grow your business. Mm -hmm. But you get to a point to where you start going and you look up and you got three million points and you go, what I do? Most people don't know that you can literally convert your reward points to gift cards for like Saks and Neiman's and go shopping to where I didn't pay for the clothes and the things that they see us in. Because I still Ooh. like designer clothes, but I got it for free. I like that. I like that. I like I that. I can live the life that I want and I don't have to be subjected to being irresponsible. I can drive a Rolls Royce and not be, oh man, you buying a depreciating asset. No, it's gonna make me more money than it costs me. Right, I, I gotta ask you though. Each one of those is a victim. I was like, are you, they're all owned by Countrywide. They're like, no, that's not how it works. Well, then they turned around and they gave me an enhancement for having, for stealing more than a mil, or for whatever, you, uh, for stealing more than a million dollars from one financial institution. And I was like, who's that? And they said, Countrywide. And I went, well, this doesn't make sense. Like, Countrywide, you, you said, like, I didn't steal more than a million dollars from any one of those four Countrywide. They said, yeah, but if you add them together, it's more than a million dollars. I said, but you said they were four individual victims. And then they said, no, no. Or they're four corporate corporation victims. So four victims, they said, yeah, but for the purposes of this enhancement, we can add them together because they're all owned by Countrywide Bank. I mean, like, that's double jeopardy. And you're hitting me for the same thing over and over again and just calling it something else. So the point is, is I got hit for that, I probably did an extra couple of years for that. Uh, and that's what they're going to do to Lugo. They're going to stack the charges and he's going to say, I'll plead guilty, but he's going to cooperate against all of his friends and family. And he's going to say, you know, uh, Jimmy helped me and Tommy helped me and Bob helped me and so-and-so helped me and he did this and he did that. And he's going to put it together for him. And I'll bet you he still gets between five and 10 years. He's still going to get between five and 10 years, even with all that. If he just says, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to cooperate. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to cooperate. I'm just going to, I'm just going to take my lumps. Uh, you know, it's just, just, uh, I'll plead guilty and, uh, I'll just take the charge. He's going to get 20 years. He's going to get 20 years because he was, he was on supervision when this, or on probation when this happened. 
He'd just been released from prison. He's already got a criminal history of fraud. I mean, and this is the other thing is you get an enhancement for fraud against the United States. He's going to probably get an extra two-point enhancement for fraud against the United States. I mean, every time, every one of these points incrementally gets larger and larger. So your first, you know, once you're in, once you're up to like 10, so let's say the next point, let's say 10 and you're going to jail for a year. Well, the next enhancement is, let's say it's, Let's say it's six months. So okay, we're going to add. You're you're currently you're currently getting 120 months, but you also have this enhancement. Well, that enhancement adds another six months. Now it's 126 months. Oh yeah, and we're also going to give you this other enhancement. Well, the next enhancement it's not six months. Every new enhancement adds more months. So the next enhancement is eight more months. So now you're doing. Um, you're doing 134 months. Oh, and then, and then we've got these other two enhancements. Well, that's not eight. Now it's, now it's 11 plus, you know, so that's the next one's 11. And then the next one on top of that is going to be, you know, 14. So you're like, it just, next thing you know, every enhancement ends up, by the time they were done hitting me with enhancements, every enhancement, Every enhancement for me, okay, was like 40 months, 43 months, 48 months, 52 months. I mean, they smashed me. It was, it was, it was just detrimental. Every time somebody was like, oh, well, also he did this and that's another enhancement. That's a one point. And some of these enhancements are two, three, four points. My point is this, he's going to do some time. He's not getting out. He's not going to get out on, on, uh, he's not going to get out on his own recognizance. He's certainly not going to get out on bond. He doesn't have any of his own money. I can't imagine that he could prove if he had any of his own money, he, he wouldn't be ripping off the federal government. So most likely he's going to sit in prison. He's going to cooperate as best as possible. And, and he's going to get sentenced and he's going to end up going back to Coleman. And he's going to probably go back to B4. No, I'm just joking. I don't know. Where. <laughs> he'll probably he'll go back to Coleman, though. He'll probably go back to Coleman Low. He'll see all of his old buddies. He'll walk in. They'll be like, I can't tell you how many times I saw guys leave. Listen, I did 12 and a half years. I watched guys get out of prison, get a new charge, come back to prison, serve their time for that new charge, get out of prison again, get another charge, and come back to prison. That's how long I was there. So he's going to see a bunch of the same guys and they're going to walk in. He's going to walk in. I've seen these guys, they walk in and you look up at them and you go like that. And they're like, they just shake their head and they go, and you go, 
what happened, man? And they're like, man, bro, you can't believe this, man. I, I, I got jammed up because of this or that or this or, you know, I was doing this and I was doing that. And hey, what's going on? My name is Nate, lawyer slash YouTuber. And today I want to talk about Cardi B again. And we're going to actually just look up her case and look at what she's charged with and see how much time she can actually get. Because a lot of the Cardi B fans, I love you guys. Thank you guys for watching. Thanks for making comments. Have been hammering me in the comment section saying that everything I'm showing you guys is fake news. So, it even got to one point where one fan was like, this is all fake, there's nothing about it. Then I actually said, here's the name, here's the link, go look it up. And they refused to look it up. So, just so we can all be on the same page. And because I've been challenged, it's time to provide that receipt. Let's go into the receipts. For those of you who don't know who Cardi B is and don't know who the people I'm talking about, check out this news clip. It'll get you caught up in a quick hot minute. Rapper Cardi B has been indicted on charges stemming from a melee at a Queen strip club. In April, Cardi B rejected a plea deal that would have included no jail time if she pleaded guilty to third-degree assault. Cardi B is accused of throwing items inside Angel's strip club in Flushing last August, injuring two bartenders, the 26-year-old due back in court next Tuesday. So our first stop is to the comments section. This is love me or let me leave. Uh-oh. And they edited. Now, this person says Cardi B is not facing 10 years. No way you're an attorney. Oh, no. So then I write back. Look it up yourself. Two felonies. See Cardi B's case, right? Defendant's name. Here's the link. Go check it out. Waterfalls come. I see nothing. I can't do anything. It's just like, oh, my God. Stop reporting false info. Can't see anything on the state's website. I put the link works for everyone else. So then we have some back and forth with other people. Now she's saying that she sees it or he or she or whatever's happening. So I started getting a couple of these comments. I started getting comments saying that, you know, there's no way she's getting any time and I'm just missing it i'm it's wrong 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 so i'm like all right let's do this let's just look it up ourselves and i'll show you exactly where i'm getting my numbers from first so you guys can see we are going to e-courts now if you're in new york and you're arrested you can look up the case here. You can look up Harvey Weinstein. You can look up anybody's case here on eCorps. And you go to this place called Web Crimes. Now, I've already pulled it up. Now, I've used Cardi B's name, um, which is her government name. And you can pull up the case right here, Queen Supreme Court. Now, this is a court that handles felonies. So, 
There it is. And now we look at her arrest information. So this is a summary of her case. Defendant, her birth year tells you, you know, what, what day she was arrested. What day the incident was, you know, all this great stuff. So now we can see what's going on. We can see her attorney, for instance, and her next appearance date, which is March 19th, 2020. So now on this side right here, you see where it says appearances. So now we can actually see when she's been to court and what happened. So she's been to court all these times, all these times, you know, in front of this judge, that judge, the court reporter. Um, and she's always been in front of the same judge. Now it's on for trial. So she's on for trial. So she was arraigned. I think she was arraigned on a misdemeanor. That she was arraigned on felony. So you, you can see it's all here. And her next trial date. Her trial date is 3-19-2020. So that is her next date. Calendared for next week. Okay. So this is the part... This is the part where I think people are getting confused on, so let's just go into it. It all it is the charges. Here are the charges. Now, the first one, as you can see here, is a violation. It's harassment in the second degree. That's like a parking ticket. It's nothing. You know, nobody serves any jail in time for violations here in New York. It's a laugher, right? So the first two counts of violations. Now. Throw them away. They're really worth nothing. Again, violations are like parking tickets. Class A misdemeanor is something interesting. Because a Class A misdemeanor, that means that you could spend up to 364 days in jail. You can't spend a year in jail because if you spend a year, it has to be a felony. And you have to be indicted for that. So, misdemeanors, you can spend up to a year in jail. Cardi's being charged with the misdemeanor, a misdemeanor of conspiracy. So, she could spend up to a year in jail, 364 days. Now, is she going to get that for any of these charges? Probably not. It all depends on her criminal history. It's a lot of factors that go into sentencing. But usually I tell you... The guys welcome to the credit game my name is mike uh every day multiple times a day i want to come to you to make sure that you guys learn what you need to learn in credit right it is important to study credit but when most people are working and doing other things the last thing you want to think about is researching how do i do this how do i do that right so by you guys subscribing to the videos here Right, so take a time, you know, click with click the button, get subscribed, and then also turning on your bell. This is the thing that I always forget to tell you guys is to make sure you turn on your bell. So when you go to the top right corner, you'll see there's a little section to turn on your bell. And what that means is, is every time I do a video, you're going to get a notification saying, "Hey, Mike, the credit game, just do a video out." Now, why do I do two a day, and sometimes even three a day? Well, one, because the more that you're uh, top of mind with credit, the better you're going to get at it. 
right? That's why I don't put a video out once a week. I got, you know, some competitors that are out there that are throwing out videos once a month, right? You're not going to learn it. If you are inside this thing and I, boom, I got three, I put a three minute video on, you guys are watching it and you're getting notifications, then suddenly all once you're going to start to see a difference. Most of the people that work for me here have went from the 500s in the 700s. Almost every single person who has been following me and has been, you know, an employee uh, of my company has went through a transformation, getting new cars, getting credit cards and, and, you know, helping themselves out and their family out with their credit. So, uh, and most people came in in the 500s, early sixes, and now are in the mid sevens to even 800s. So I want to help you guys just like I help them with just keeping yourself relevant, keeping current with the things that I'm teaching you. All of the topics that I teach you are things that you can implement right away into your life. Um, they're not things that happened 10 years ago. I keep it very relevant to uh, the news and the articles. So I make sure I do a due diligence before I do my videos. So um, if you guys can find this in your heart, that is a video that you could say, hey, look, I could share this video. Uh, we had just hit 400,000 subscribers over the weekend. Thanks to you guys. Um, again, I can't say enough thanks for uh, helping by subscribing and hitting the thumbs up button, it really helped out, uh, which is allows me to do more videos, A, and B, it allows more people to see it, which my goal, so you guys know, is not to fix Ricky's credit or John's credit. My goal is to change the entire national credit average, right? So I'm not just trying to fix one person's credit, I'm trying to fix 280 million people's credit. And if I can get enough buzz out there because you guys are sharing the videos or you're hitting the thumbs up or you have a family member that could use the help, then by you sharing the video uh, and turning on the bell notifications so you're getting notifications, ultimately what's going to happen is the credit game is going to expand so big that we can help everybody. And it's a win-win because now you're getting higher limit credit card. You're able to get cars that you want. You're able to get uh, maybe your first house or maybe an investment property or things, or maybe you could start your business in trucking or, or the real estate. Okay. So first of all, thank you. Uh, make sure you do those three things that I just mentioned. And also I want you to pay attention. I know you guys, a lot of you guys use credit karma, right? Not my fan favorite, but you know, my vendor, we talk about who does the credit pair is identity iq okay so you guys eventually will need identity iq but for the purpose of this video when you go to credit karma and you select once you're logged in you select there's either transunion or equifax okay um when you select one of those and you scroll down you're going to see credit factors and on the right hand side you're going to see high impact okay which is going to be your payment history it's going to be your utilization, and it's going to be your derogatories. Those are the high impact. What I want you to focus on is not medium impact and low impact. Okay, so I want to give you this insight right here. So that almost everybody has credit card. If you don't, sign up for it. It takes five seconds, right? Again, not my fan favorite for because it only gives you two bureaus. But for the purpose of this video, I want you to be able to kind of see what I'm talking about. 
the high impact things are essentially what makes up the biggest part of your credit score, right? Your credit score is made up of 542 algorithms. But what we really focus on is, is about five or six. I want you to focus on the top three, okay? So when you look at the high impact, whether it's derogatories or utilization or your payment history, uh, utilization and your payment history and your derogatories, 